You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Is it just me, or has the sort of relief of the pandemic resulted in people being as freaking crazy in public as possible? No, I think that's actually been a theme on this podcast oh the last God. month or so. It's like, I can't, nobody's behaving normally. And I said this to you, well, this has actually been the recurring theme of my week, is I keep catching men taking pictures of me while I'm on public transit. Men. Men should not be allowed in public. One, that is horrifically invasive, and I do, I feel all kinds of yucky about that. But I'm also like... I, like, don't dress particularly risque. I'm wearing a mask and I'm wearing sunglasses. So what are you taking a picture of? <laughs> Your aura. Yeah. Today, I saw a man smoke a cigarette and do a line off of, of Coke off of his venture card. 5 p.m. on the red line, ladies. What the hell? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's how some people make through the day, apparently. And the day may have almost been over. The, yeah. But... That, Who's that, to say? that actually, I looked at that and I was like, oh, my day is over. <laughs> I'm done. Not engaging in anything else. Thank you. Nope. No room in brain. You know what? And I, you know, I generally am like, people behave better on the L than they do on the subway because the light of day touches the Chicago rail system. <laughs> like, people. For the most part. For the most part. Like, obviously, when you're downtown, you're a little undergroundy. Um, but. I think that people behave better because we can all see everything that's happening. Yeah. Also. But it's been some real New York City behavior lately. I will also say that it's like, I think the weather affects that too. Because, you know, everybody suffers together. Everybody suffers the the cold. Yeah. Because maybe you'll freeze to death on the L platform. Everybody suffers the uh, heat wave. Maybe you'll just pass out on the L platform. Like, there's collective suffering happening. You know what was a real I'm going to make my suffering your suffering moment? When I sat down today and there was two seats on me, two seats on either side of me, and a man sat next to me. Oh, they just want an excuse <gasps> to touch you. <sighs> Disgusting. Despicable. And the worst part about all the men who've taken pictures of me is their camera sounds are on. I would actually Psychotic. rather not know. <laughs> like, I would just rather not know. Ugh. You know what's funny about that is that I actually um, really love the sound of, like, iPhone keyboard clicks. Mm. But I do not have them on because I know how much other people hate them. And uh, I don't want to be mocked. Same for having the camera sound on. I kind of like it. But I also know that people would hear it and be like, Who's that fucking freak? Yeah. Well, it's funny because sometimes people are like, did you take a picture? And I'm like, no, I took a screenshot. <laughs> Genius. You yeah. get the same effect. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a fact that none of those men were taking screenshots. They were holding their phones out. <laughs> okay. And you know, that's that's how you know that they're bad at it too. Yeah. It's like, a, <laughs> ugh. I, ugh. If you... If you live in the modern world and you have not figured out how to take a surreptitious photo by now. Oh, I sent you a picture of some really (laughs) ugly shoes I saw on the L. You didn't see his face and he didn't see me taking the picture. It was all good. And because the shoes were all that needed to be talked about. They were horrific. Maybe I'll post a picture on the Twitter. They were, they were like like Yeezy Yeezy Crocs. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) they were really bad. Oh, you know what? Another thing about the L is what I know. I know when women sit next to me, it's because I look like the safe option. Could you please find a safer option? Because I don't want to sit next to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it is 105 degrees oh outside. God, Stop touching Stop me. Stop touching me. Yeah. I can't tell if I sound like a whiner baby. I just feel like a lot has been <laughs> building up. Especially because, and I, I think about this all the time, when I used to come home at five o'clock, rush hour, red line traffic. And there would just be people breathing into my face. Like, uh, you know, and people bring dogs on the train. People are trying to read while they're standing up. Sometimes you get like a spine in your eyeball (laughs) and you're like, "Mm, you know what? This may as well happen. At least it's not someone's, you know, mouth. Like, yeah. uh, But I used to just do that Monday through Friday. Yeah. Every week. Here I am doing that. (laughs) And, and, but like the, the closeness, I will say now, you like you have some room to also, spread out masks. 
masks. I'm never going to stop wearing a mask on the L. Especially when we go back to sardine territory. Um, But the fact that like I haven't had to be a sardine in the last year and a half, I may never readjust to that. Yes. Um, People are gross. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to what g- has the pandemic <laughs> taught you? Uh, people are gross. People are disgusting. Yeah. That they never washed their hands to begin with. Oh my God. My hand washing habits did not change during the pandemic because I am a voracious hand washer. I always have been. <laughs> I'm very clean. Yeah. Well, I will say that like when I used to walk from my home to work, yeah. I didn't feel the need to wash my hands when I got to work. But then when I had to take the L to work, as soon as you get to work, you wash your hands. Yes. You don't wash your hands after touching doorknobs. Dependent. You don't wash your hands after touching doorknobs. Any doorknobs? Literally, literally, no. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> welcome to the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, a podcast where we talk about irreconcilable differences in hand washing <laughs> technique. My name is Christian, and I'm Julia, and we are ready to talk about what is technically a season opener. It is the first episode of Five B. It is called The Last Chimera, and it was fine. It was okay. We laughed a lot, not... Uh, On purpose. No, that was not the intention of the writing. <laughs> we I laughed think. a lot derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this episode was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. It was a very Jeff-Russell episode. I really, like, a technical return to form. Yeah. I thought the lighting was really good in this episode. I thought some of the writing was, like, far more intelligent on the emotional side between, like, characters. Even the editing looked different. It just felt like it was falling. I said to you this to you while we were watching. This is the most episode of Teen Wolf we've watched in the last 10 episodes. I would agree. I really think that Jeff Russell and alternatively Russell and Angela are like the gold standard for episodes I want to watch. I would put Sam Andrew in there too. Yeah. So those two, those two directors, those two writers are like, they're the people I want. Yes. Uh, doing my Teen Wolf for me. And I would say Angela Harvey above all because I think she's my favorite writer. I love her work. <laughs> Angela Harvey, I love your work. <laughs> I love your work. We're starting the sirens early. Do you think that's a good... Do you think that's like bodes well? I don't know. The other day, uh, I realized that there were like two fire trucks outside of uh, where we live and I could not figure out why they were there and then they just turned their sirens off and went away. Hmm. So I don't really know what's going on lately. We'll see. Well, like we said, everyone's being crazy. Yeah. And you know what really upsets me about that? The full moon is not until next week. So I feel like people get people get very insane during the full moon up to during and a little bit after. This is a teen wolf podcast. Yes. So, okay. (laughs) No, but if you've ever worked with children, you know this especially. People say this in hospitals as well. Yeah. um, If you ever worked with kids and you had a really, really bad day, you just have to look it up and you're like, oh, full moon around the the corner. Um, But no, it's a week away. So I feel like the crazy is going to go up exponentially from here. Well, I also feel like it's really hot right now and we're a little bit in like do the right thing territory. (laughs) People are taking hot girl summer a little too literally. And it's 90 degrees. Um, Well, before we dig into this episode, we do have to do the 60 second recap. And guess what, Julia? I'm, am I going first? You sure are. Did I look at my notes before we started this? No, we actually both made the executive decision (laughs) to not do that uh, in hopes that it would be as chaotic as possible. Which is really dumb because I overflowed onto the next page per usual. So we'll see. Well, are you ready? I think maybe. Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, so Lydia's using her banshee powers to learn that Theo stole his sister's heart and the Dread Doctors gave him a transplant, which makes him the first Chimera. Um, and then the Chimeras come to Eichenhaus to get Lydia. The Dread Doctors wanted to create a perfect killer. Um, we're back to the supermoon night and the sheriff is dying. Scott is uh, trying to patch up his wounds, but he faints. Um, Parrish has like a hallucination, then realizes that Lydia is missing and goes to find her. Um, and then he finds Lydia in the woods and brings her to Scott. Um, and she's like catatonic and they can't figure out what's wrong with her. Liam tries to help Hayden's tries to tell Hayden's sister that she died and Mason's like hey you can't do that they have a little heart to heart but Liam smells Hayden and she's like oh he's she's here um Parrish Scott and Lydia are all at the hospital um and there's something like really really wrong with the sheriff Styles attacks Scott because it's like it's all your fault Natalie similarly flips out on Styles because it's like the pack's fault that um Lydia is catatonic Styles wants to talk to Theo and, the, and then learns that he's immune to Mountain Ash. Um, Natalie signs uh, Lydia's Eichenhaus papers and is like, bye-bye. Um, Theo still thinks that Scott is dead, and he's like, oh, I know what the Dread Doctor's made, and I can help you. Um, Liam ends up talking to his dad and asking if Hayden was brought in, but they're like, no. Oh. 
I think I got a little too in the weeds with my notes. It happens. Um, it, it happens a little bit more uh, than usual these days because yeah. of how inundated we are with just stuff, weird stuff that doesn't even matter. And you and you would think that it matters, but it kind of does not. No. No. <laughs> are you ready to do a better job than I did? Ready to do a better job? No. Ready to do it? Also no. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a minute starting in three, two, one, go. So Lydia's and Iken and Valk drilled a hole in her head to try to figure out what's up with Theo, and we find out that he let his sister die to take her heart and become the first Chimera. Um, uh, the Chimera pack shows up to take her. Styles is at the hospital, and Scott is bleeding over the sink and can't heal. Um, uh, Parrish is like having a hallucination about Lydia being missing, and then he tries to get the station to come find her, but they won't do it. Uh, Melissa tells Styles that his dad is okay, but then he's really not. Parrish brings uh, a, like a catatonic Lydia to Scott, and he's like, yeah, I found her in the woods, and then Liam tries to tell Valerie about Hayden, but L- Mason's like, yeah, you can't do that. Uh, Liam catches Hayden's scent and goes crazy about it. Mason says that she's gone. Parrish and Scott bring Lydia to the hospital. The sheriff is like takes a massive turn in his condition, and Styles freaks out and uh, like fights Scott. He's like, "This is all your fault." Natalie uh, signs Lydia over to Eichenhaus, and Styles is like, "Check the back of her neck," and then she does, but it doesn't matter. Um, oh, oh my gosh, where did oh my gosh? Um, so they have to go find the other Chimera to figure out what's wrong with uh, the sheriff, and they figure they find him in the tunnel because Malia comes to help, and then Scott and Styles have an H2H, and they're like, oh my god. You were doing so, so good. I lost and my then... place where, okay, so I, I ran out of ink in my pen, had to change pens, and then the second I hit the different pen color, my brain was like, you're done. Can't read that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, when I I went to go do like uh, neuropsych testing to be like everything's fine with your brain, and apparently the one that I had the most trouble with was when they write like the word red, but it is in a blue font. Like Ugh. that is the thing I had the worst time that with. That just gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm like blue, red, green. No, <laughs> unclear. Um, yeah, I scored really low, like in the whatever lowest percentile so i understand that i do okay so since you understand it so well will you catch us up on what we missed yeah um so where did you leave off that we were looking for um we okay so let's i'll start you off the sheriff is not doing great malia and scott and styles are in the tunnels mason and liam go to the library try to figure out where the nematon is and go to the woods to look for the nematon yes okay so um Parrish tells Natalie that he's like, I'm going to break Lydia out of Eichenhaus, which is an insane thing to say. Um, we realize that the evil Eichenhaus doctor is actually Dr. Valak. He has escaped somehow. Um, and Liam and Mason end up finding the nematon because Liam looks with his wolf eyes. I have questions about that. Um, and then they like get caught by the police by Hayden who leads the police there and is like, look, there are some bodies. Um, Malia tells Scott that she and Styles broke up. Um, Liam's dad like confronts Melissa and is like, "You know things," because um, he's like really desperate to save the sheriff. And Melissa's like, "Cool, I do know things, but I'm not going to tell you because it's not going to help." <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. <laughs> I feel like if we limit exposure, that's okay. <laughs> True. Um, Styles keeps having like flashbacks to his mom's funeral, and he gets knocked out several times in this episode. The last time is like by the chimera. Um, the dread doctors are coming, and Scott's like bleeding again, so they can't fight. And then Daddy Argent, Chris, shows up to save. We got the a little day. Brayden. We're getting a little Chris. <laughs> the firepower is back on Teen Wolf. Yeah, um, I don't like guns, but. It's really weird to have a show that's very gun heavy and then be like, oh, we don't have those anymore. It's part of the language of They're the show. They're like the gun machine broke. <laughs> <laughs> no more bullets for you. Um, the Dread Doctors can actually magically deflect bullets, I guess, with their like electromagnetic whatever. Um, so that's fun. Telluric currents. Yeah. Uh, so they all realize that there's a piece of the Chimera's berserker bone. Yeah. stuck in the sheriff and that's what's poisoning him he's being poisoned by bone marrow i assume can you get poisoned by other another person's bone marrow or is it just like mercury no you can you can yeah that's okay. like the whole thing is like if you give somebody the wrong bone marrow okay. it'll kill them cool i learned something new today um the other chimera dies because you know he was useful whatever scott like makes the symbol of his pack because he's gonna reunite them all because they're fractured Lydia, i didn't really understand that um and then we flash forward back to eichenhaus um and theo is actually looking for parish not lydia interesting yeah yeah big lore questions 
You know, it, it, Teen Wolf <laughs> has this giant bestiary and then didn't bother to just be like, oh yeah, here are all the other creatures that could exist in the world that we haven't met yet. They kept trying to like shove in creatures we have and it was like, that doesn't work. We already talked about the Canima. A Canima is already like a, a sort of werewolf to the left. And a yeah. berserker is made. They are originally human beings and not in the way that werewolves are. Yeah. It's very different. They are like, it's magic. It's not genetic. Yeah. I think is how I would describe it. It's a condition as opposed to a like physical aspect of you. Yeah. I ran out of room for questions in this episode. Well, uh, we'll get there, I guess. But first, we're going to talk about this episode through the theme of tension. So right now, because we're sort of teetering back and forth between is the pack going to fall apart? Are they going? Are we going to get the band back together? Uh, everything is tense. It's not even just the sort of time constraints of the episode. Um, it's a lot of to do with the sort of, I don't know what's happening. Uh, it's obviously a lot to do with interpersonal relationships. So where would you like to start? I kind of want to talk about Liam and Mason. Yeah. Yeah. They had my favorite scenes in this episode. They... uh, With the exception of everything Dylan O'Brien was doing, because he was... He was doing a great job. King Wolf King. They have one of the longest scenes in, I want to say, this entire season. Oh my gosh. Finally, this episode has, like, just you know enough time to breathe and i think if we did like three episodes in a row and then a breath you would have earned it but this point we've been so like tight and holding on to so much weird bullshit and like waiting for a conversation to happen that it's actually almost ineffective especially considering that this would have aired months after the previous episode yeah um it is sweet and i think that like the the point that Mason is trying to make when he stops Liam from telling Valerie, is that her name? Mm-hmm. That Hayden has died, um, that it's not going to hurt any less coming from uh, Liam, and that it's not Liam's responsibility to tell this woman that her sister is dead, um, which I think is uh, wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it's nice to see them interacting um, because the tension that's going on with them is not interpersonal, but it's like they really need to find the nematon. That's like the thing that they're kind of working towards. Well, what I think is so interesting about this is all of a sudden you have uh, Liam acting in anger in a way that is like very upsetting. Um, I know that we said in the last episode that he definitely has the most righteous sense of anger. And I, I agree. I, I think that that is the sort of most honest um, place of uh, emotion in the previous episode. But Mason watched him almost kill somebody. And then instead of doing the Scott thing of being like, we don't kill people. He's like, we're going to figure this out because clearly something is wrong. And by the way, I don't think you're a monster for having done that. So he automatically relieves the tension that Liam is fearing um, about like the repercussions of his actions. And Mason still pushes, I mean, Liam still pushes back on that. He obviously feels very guilty, but he sort of shit like Mason, Mason's role in this episode is to shift that and be like, we actually have bigger, more pressing issues. And, we have a time constraint and bodies to find and friends to worry about. So instead of funneling this into some like sort of, how dare you, blah, 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 blah. It actually gets pushed into a far more productive uh, direction. Which is so nice to see after so much miscommunication. Give it up for Jeff Davis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And like it further reinforces Liam and Mason's uh, relationship um, and their friendship and how much they love each other. Um, and I, I also think that after, you know, Mason was really kind of pushed away during season four because Liam wanted to protect him. Now that he's like in the inner circle, he kind of wants to prove that he is an asset and that it wasn't a mistake to bring him in. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he does that like in spades over and over and over again. Um, and he also, I think, just plays like a, a key role um, in the wider cast, but also between the two of them, because he is the one who kind of retains this sense of wonder over the supernatural world. You know, it's funny. I was kind of thinking about how, like, I think the teenage genius plot line is boring to do twice mm-hmm. and also maybe ever. Yeah. Like, kid, like we pe- get it. people like Lydia don't go to public school. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
And, but I think what's sort of so brilliant is that they didn't redo it. Lydia is helpful against her will and Mason is helpful because he wants to be. And because he's so delighted by everything that he learns. Like when he learns that the Nemeton um, can only be found if it wants to be found, he's delighted. I will also say though, he is delighted because one that has never, it has not yet affected him negatively. And two, like a lot of the stuff that Lydia goes through is like, I don't want to know about the supernatural because it is a personal issue for me. Like he's still a little outside looking in, but you're right. It is delightful. And I think that there is like that, that release of tension between the two of them being able to talk. Oh my God. Finally having two characters actually talk to each other. And do I think that these conversations are like brilliant, like best, you know, pieces of dialogue I've ever heard. No, but it brings something to the show that we haven't seen in weeks. We, which is people having an actual human moment together mm-hmm. that makes sense within the context of their relationship and also the things that are happening within the show. Yeah, the actual tension absolved <laughs> here is mine and the show's. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, but I, I, I thought that that was good. I, um, I do a little bit feel like Mason had kind of, like you said, been pushed a little bit to the left, and now he's he's back in and is a crucial role to Mason's to not Mason to Liam's character. Um, but yes, would you, uh, like to, uh, move on? Yeah. Um, who's on your mind next? Malia is kind of a smaller part of this episode, but I think that she is coming in with a very different kind of tension. She has this conversation with Scott, which I kind of like where she is like, yeah, me and Styles, uh, kind of broke up. And Scott has to be like, yeah, me and Styles also kind of broke up, <laughs> which is, I, I, I know it's like too early to be sowing the the seeds of Scalia, but kind of that's kind of what's happening. I know, and I little. I've also like again, you ship the ship you get in yeah. Teen Wolf. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah, those two dummies are kind of made for each other. They they kind of certainly are. Um, and I think I don't know what was going on the writer in the writers' room, but it does feel like it was kind of a hail mary when they did it. But okay, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Um, it makes so much more sense than trying to introduce another love interest for Scott. Like you killed Allison, she can't come back, and I'm sure Arden Show was busy. So I don't know. I really wish Kira had come back. I. But you're right. I don't know what was up with Arden Show. I don't know what was going on with her, and I I wish she had been able to. But um, I love it. There is honest to God one relationship that I do not. The ship that you ship is a ship that you get. It's Lydia and Parrish. Uh, actually, no, then make it two. I don't get Melissa and Chris, but we will have time to get into that. Whatever. Um, I don't get it. That was the real Hail Mary. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but back to Malia. Malia is full of attention that none of her friends are really clued into, except for Theo, who isn't really a friend. You said attention. And my brain was like, oh, attention. Pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Tension. Tension. Um, because the whole Desert Wolf plot line has kind of been playing out uh, behind the scenes or like In a way as that a I wish that they C-plot. had I wish that they had committed to mm-hmm. or just not done it. Yeah. Truly not enough t- attention paid. In all of those little cutscenes, you couldn't have put like three more in about the Desert Wolf. Um, yeah, I mean she is What's interesting to me is that it feels like Malia is very stressed out by the information that Brayden has given her, and it is actually relieves her tension somewhat to be able to just go help her friends, even if she's at the worst like emotional place with both of them. But she's like, "I'm here to help you. I'm gonna save Styles' dad because he has basically been a a, a parent to her since Mm -hmm. coming back from the woods. She has very much ingratiated herself into the Stilinski family, Um, and I think that." For Malia, like the option to feel like she's doing something productive um, instead of just waiting around for, you know, Medea to rain hellfire is the only thing that, that would relieve that feeling. You know, it's such a, a deep anxiety of being like, well, my mom wants to kill me, which is like sort of the most upsetting thing you can think about. Yeah. And then to add on top of that, the fact that she and Styles are broken up, which seemed a little abrupt. I also would not call what happened in the last episode a breakup. No, that neither did not, would I. I did not read that at all. No. Is, are they misunderstanding the situation or am I? No, I, th- I guess I we'll think find out because I don't know what happens in this season. I think it's just a willful misunderstanding on the part of the writing. Um, because that's that's real. Like they are broken up from this point on unless I'm misremembering something. I don't know. Um, 
I've never seen Teen Wolf, actually. <laughs> this is my first the time. The Dread Doctors have wiped away <laughs> my memory of it. Um, yeah, I. that's entirely possible. Do you ever go to watch a movie and you're like, oh, I've never seen this before. And then halfway through, you're like, hold on. I, have there, I <laughs> seen this before? That doesn't happen to me very often as an adult, but there were like several movies that I thought I hallucinated as a child. Brave Little Toaster. Oh, the Brave Little Toaster, um, Anchors Away. I thought I made that up. Oh my God, Home on the Range. Have I ever told you <laughs> about Home on the Range? No. Okay, so Home on the Range is a Disney movie that I saw on my eighth birthday. Saw it with friends and it's about cows. I and think I remember this. Yeah, it's actually so great. It's so cute. And then I'd never heard of it ever again. I'd never heard of it ever again. I go to college. I meet my best friend. Her name is Jenny. Hi, Jenny. She does not listen. It's okay. My other best friend, Violet, does. Hi, Violet. And I was, we were talking about our favorite Disney movies. I was like, there's this one that I saw on my eighth birthday. And she goes, Home on the Range. Because <laughs> we're both born in April. And I was like, yes. And she's like, it is my favorite Disney movie. And every time I go to the Disney store, I ask them if they have Home on the Range merch. And they never know what I'm talking about. And it's super funny. <laughs> that is incredible i'm trying there is a disney movie that um traumatized me as a child oh shit not that um not that i remember fondly that no one can remember but i actually this might have been a make a, maybe a pixar i don't know but i think it's disney and it's uh, it's just called dinosaur yeah yeah I, that movie i literally had nightmares of a t-rex running down the upstairs hallway of my family home for years <laughs> Like a recurring nightmare from this fucking Disney movie about dinosaurs. That's banana bread. It is super crazy. And I, for the longest time, couldn't remember why I had that. Um, You know what movie scared the crap out of me? Which is super funny because now I love it. Hmm. But I saw it way too... I think I saw Beetlejuice when I was six. Uh, I can see why it would scare you. The sandworms really got me. But yeah. now I love Beetlejuice. <laughs> I can see, I can see why. Yes. But I'm trying to think of like cartoon um, dinosaurs that I have fond memories of land before time. Yeah. Obviously. A thing that nobody talks about anymore. No. Sad. Yeah. But not, di no, but don't show dinosaur to your young children. No. <laughs> I oh, would say. every once in a while, my middle school choir teacher, like if we were well behaved, she'd let us watch a little bit of land before time. <laughs> it's because we all liked it. It's like definitely a movie for like not middle schoolers. <laughs> But this is also like how my French teacher used to let us watch Muzzy as a treat. <laughs> I 100% would sit down and watch Land Before Time right now. No, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> anyway, so Malia. Malia. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that she is in a position um, of deciding where she will remove the tension in her life when she decides to do it. Which is, speaks a lot of her maturity. Like, I think Malia of old would be like, yeah, like, screw you guys. Well, it, it says so much about her understanding of, like, responsibility. And also, I mean, she's part of this pack, which is something I think that, like, uh, instinctually, because she is a were-coyote, she just knows how to do. So it's like piling, it's like autopilot, almost. Mm -hmm. Um and even though it must be like painful for her because she thinks that she and Styles have broken up, like she does want to save the sheriff. And yeah, it's like it's like when you can't fix anything about the current awful thing happening to you, you go fix the other awful thing happening around you. Yeah. Well, I even think like the ability to uh, delegate your responsibilities is a great relief of tension, mm -hmm. like internal sort of strain. Um, shall we talk about Lydia and Parrish? And I guess Lydia's mom a little bit, Natalie. Oh, okay. I know that, I, and I just want to say, kind of like on the record, that I know we were talking about, um, how it doesn't make any sense that Natalie sends Lydia to Eichenhaus, particularly with everything that happened with her grandmother. It makes slightly more sense In now. context, yeah. In context, but I would also be like, actually, I'm going to find a different specialist. I know that she's acting rashly because she's so upset because of what's happened to Lydia, but this isn't even the first time Lydia's ended up in the hospital catatonic. <laughs> she is really upset about Lydia and she ends up lashing out at Styles. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's like Styles necessarily. I could think if Scott had walked into the room, she would have had the same reaction because we have never really had um, a proper confrontation about what happened at the sheriff's station beyond um, when Malia tried to go help 
that girl, Beth. Yeah. Um, and that was Tracy. No. Oh, no, no, no. Beth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The other. Yeah. When Malia goes to help Beth and she's like, you know, you know that like crazy shit is happening. You close her eyes at her. But Natalie, I think is like in some sort of shock and she's so angry that her kid could have gotten wrapped into this. And maybe even, I think a little angry at herself, um, the parent for not noticing any of this because she's one of the parents who is not very present. Yeah. I mean, only because she's not very present to the plot. Like Lydia for all intents and purposes has not been very present to the plot this season, which is infuriating. But I mean, even in the past, like she's not, she doesn't have the presence that other parents have had. No. Well, I was more to be like, well, if Lydia's not on that screen that much, her relationship with her parents aren't going to be as focused. Mm -hmm. Also like, I would say that like Lydia's mom is about as engaged as Kira's dad. And it's only because they're both teachers. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. It, we're never presented with um, an alternative to Iken House in Beacon Hills. I'm and sorry. Does the hospital not have a psychiatric um, unit? Well, it begs the question where in the world was Peter for all that time? Was he in Iken House? I don't think he was. Yeah. Well, he was in an, like a, an inpatient sort of long-term yeah. care facility. But if you need a long-term, there has to be others. But because we're not given that but explicitly. But also like Lydia's not really looking for psychological care at the moment. She's catatonic. Like she yeah. would be in long-term care. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Although Dr. Valak can turn him into, he turn himself into random ass people. He's so. like projects a vision or some shit. We had to Google that by the way. Like it is not apparent in the it's show. Not that real. is so dumb. So maybe he just charmed her into doing it but anyway there's this no he kind of bullies her into it yeah we watch him he's like well you know it's a much better place just sign we need two signatures and she's like obviously emotionally distraught and also like parish comes up to her at that point Mm -hmm. i think as well and is like really trying to um keep her from from leaving and I don't know, maybe in Natalie's mind, she's like, well, if she's in Eichen House, at least she'll be away from these freaks. Yeah. Well, I think that there is a definite tension internally for Natalie because I, I, I have to believe that she wouldn't actually want her there. And this is like a rash sort of in the moment decision. Um, and so she is battling with the like, am I signing her up for the fate of her grandmother or am I actually doing the work to protect her? And that would be a really difficult decision to make. Actually, probably made even more easily when Parrish comes up and says the creepiest fucking thing I've ever heard when he's like, I will break down the walls to get, I, a 24 year old man with a job and a house and a mortgage will break down the walls to get to your teenage daughter. You freak. freak. He is a freak. Oh God. And I just find it so, that does not sound like Parrish is, is relatively normal. I would say he's hinged except for the teenage girl thing. That that line doesn't like. Why wouldn't he write? Because he's so always somebody who appeals to like the emotional center of people. It would make so much more sense if he was like, "You're making a mistake. Please think about this. I know stuff like, about Iken. What's you, best you know. for Lydia? Yeah, there's like tension between Natalie and it feels like the rest of the world, not just the pack, but like everybody else involved in Lydia's life. Yes. And like Lydia is sort of like the unfortunate bearer of the tension in this episode, especially of Parrish, who is kind of like has taken on the serious responsibility uh, of taking care of her. And we see in the last episodes because he is incredibly alone in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does kind of bug me um, that they keep having these like hallucinations where they get to kiss, but only because it's not real. If it's not real, it's okay if the 24-year-old kisses that, that high schooler. Okay, but, but, she's, but she's 18. But she's 18. But Whatever. she's super smart. Do n- don't Shut you up. dare ever. She's mature for her age, me. She I will fight you. Child. She is a child. Uh, yeah. So there's just tension galore. Yeah. And like I said, like I think Lydia, uh, you know, befalls the unfortunate, um, you know results of that tension and is put in Iken house because of the sort of impasse that Natalie reaches. And again, like I think that Parrish exacerbates the situation and while he does save her, you know, he like carts her around mm-hmm. because he's so stressed out about what to do about it. And he like, you know, she's waddling up the stairs when he goes to find Scott. It's, it feels very much like she is tethered between these two people. And, and that is, 
it's not like Lydia's conscious for it, but it does sort of evoke this like symbol of like bodily autonomy and like the inability to make decisions for yourself. And even if people are, are advocating for the right decision there, the someone in power might be advocating for the wrong one. And I think that that is, is interesting. Shall we move into our discussion about Scott and Styles? Let's do it. Um, everything's fine now. Okay. 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 <laughs> most, most frustrating, most frustrating thing about this is when they're, so Theo leaves and Styles is like, I'm going to go save my dad. And Scott's like, well, let me go with you. And he's like, no. And then they have this conversation where Scott's like, where Styles is like, you don't even know how it really happened. And Scott says it doesn't matter. How <laughs> dare you take away the voice that Styles could have in the relief of being able to tell him what happened? And why is that supposed to be pitched as the better option? That is so, oh my gosh, that actually means attention will always be there. I actually have no idea if he ever actually tells Scott because, again, the oh, Dread Doctors completely wiped my memory <laughs> of season five. But that right there is like... I know they're on a time crunch. I know they're on a time crunch. Why wouldn't Scott be like, I know it wasn't your fault. I want to hear your story later, but right now we need to save your dad. It really because would take... that, like is the way that Scott used to take care of him and Styles used to take care of Scott, right? Yeah, it really would take so little time. And I was thinking that's not even their first interaction in this episode. Scott shows up at the hospital um, and realizes that the sheriff is not doing well. And Styles goes to attack him. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I really wish that we could have seen Styles land a big fat punch in Scott's face. Yeah. Right hook. Um, because I think, listen, boys love to punch each other. And I think that that would have solved a lot of issues. Well, what was your, what was you, you, what's the study about, uh, teenagers fighting each other in high schools? Oh yeah. If you, um, if you're like an admin, you're trained, um, if boys are fighting each other, you just need to break their eye contact cause they'll like reset and re-regulate but if you're like pulling apart girls who are fighting you have to take them to separate fucking rooms because breaking their eye contact will not stop whatever is going on between them truly just suggests to me that women are far more complex creatures <laughs> yeah they will keep going after each other like men you break their eye, your eye contact they're like your thumb in their nose they're like okay we're good man well yeah how many and this is like from life Think about your guy friends. Yeah. How many of your guy friends have punched each other or gotten in a fight and then that actually resolved a huge piece of tension between them? That is one of my all-time favorite episodes of New Girl where the boys just like, someone says something out of pocket and they punch each other in the nuts. And Jess is like, that is vulgar. And she gets into this really long fight with her best friend, Cece, and they end up having this like knockdown, drag out physical fight that starts with Cece slapping her titties. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick, Nick's just like, admit it. You feel great. Don't you? And they were like, yeah, I think we got out um, 14 years worth of arguments by slugging each other in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, me and my twin, not my older sister, but my twin will duke it out. And it's not serious, but it is just kind of like, haven't you ever wanted to punch your own <laughs> self in the face? I have and I have. So <laughs> anywho, yeah. I think a punch would have solved so many things. Yeah. A punch would have reset Teen Wolf and it would have been good again. Yeah. And it, it's like so dramatic and so dark when Styles like comes up to him. Okay. Lighting in this episode, fire flame. Really good. Um, I, it didn't make any sense as to why no one can see in the hospital waiting room, but it no, looked It's great. like, you know, in house, how this, how the OR is always like dark. Yeah. <laughs> why? <laughs> the hell? Why? <laughs> if anybody who's ever been in any surgery situation, even if it's just your wisdom teeth, operating rooms have to be very bright so they don't like cut an artery or something yeah so you live yeah so you live very important um yeah i wish that uh there had been something to break the tension and it's it's really interesting and i don't know if this is like exactly how it was written or just more of how dylan o'brien was playing it but styles seems to be still very tense even after he accepts scott's help well, I, definitely because the sheriff's life is on the line. I think in the last episode, I didn't quite, I did not remember that this happened. And I think I just thought it was another thing where like, oh, they patched the sheriff off it, up and it's like all good, like, you know, sunshine and rainbows. And I think that, and that's the reason why they keep playing back the scene from his mother's funeral mm-hmm. is that it's like, well, it's weird that this hasn't come up before in some of the 
sheriff's like near death experiences. But yeah, that's his only one. That's the only thing left. Styles has no siblings. He clearly has no cousins for some reason. I think we have brought it up yeah. time and time again. I don't know if the show has. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that's why it's weird that they haven't brought it up. But this is his one and only, and that's where the tension resolves. And he his tension is not resolved until his dad says, You still got me, which I thought was slightly trite, but mm, sweet. Sweet. Um, yeah, it's really it was interesting to watch Styles kind of maneuver around in this episode because he has these encounters with Scott and then Malia shows up to help and I guess I don't know he I also really thinks wish they broke we had up. gotten a scene for with those two uh yeah something would have been I don't know Malia could have hit Styles yeah you know she kind of plays by boy rules I'm into it yeah um so I don't know I think Styles really is having tension with every person he comes across in this episode because it is a projection of how he's feeling about his dad. Yeah, totally. And I think that most most tension in relationships often comes from an outside source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How- like, obviously, the Scott and Styles thing is definitely internal, but the, the pressing tension in this episode is, um, my dad, your dad is dying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, again, like, I wish that there was a, a far more, I don't know, like, cohesive or comprehensive way of, like, resolving the whole, like, Donovan trauma. And maybe there is, again, who's to say what happens in season 5B that isn't uh, French? Well, okay. Skinwalkers? <laughs> Am I remembering? Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- I was thinking about this, how it took so long for Scott to get to the revelation about Donovan and for them to have that little falling out. It is like in the penultimate episode of five a right. Um, so it took so long for that tension to actually play out. And we haven't really been stewing in that sort of friendship breakup for any real length of time. And to think about the fact that this was, um, like a hiatus break. Yeah. So I said this to you earlier, a lot of what happens in five a, it takes the gun so long to go off. I forget that it's supposed to. Yeah. And a lot of it is glossed over. And I'm, I don't even remember that that was a gun that was eventually going to go off. And it's really frustrating that there isn't enough of a through line to get me from point a to point B. Yeah, the fact that there is no other flashback to Lydia being in Eichenhaus in 5A until this episode is very strange. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Um, shall we move into Q's and O's? Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you have a bunch of questions. Lay them on me. I have a bunch of questions, and I'm not sure if they are answerable. Well, I'll try my best. But um, Or maybe oh- I won't. I'll try my worst. <laughs> How, how, how does Dr. Valak get out to play doctor to Lydia? Uh, they don't tell us. I'm pretty sure they don't tell us. They don't tell us. Okay. Theo steals his sister's heart so that he can get a heart transplant for no reason. I don't know. The dread doctors told him so, but wouldn't someone have noticed when this girl died that her heart was missing? Uh, they don't tell us. Would anyone have noticed that? Also, like, I'm trying to think of, like, the, to make something truly evil, you have to corrupt something truly good. See, I do remember stuff about season five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was the goal with Theo? Do they explain that? I'm sure they do. But, um, what? I, He's I don't know. 10. I think it is, like, to prove that it can work. Okay. Because Valak tells us, thank you so much for showing and not telling, for telling and not showing me, um, that the Dread Doctors are trying to create the perfect killer. Literally nothing about their actions has suggested to me that that's what they're doing. But that's what yeah. he tells us. Well, I would. I think that that is another big fault. Is like that's a gun going off that we didn't even know was around. We were yeah. We were waiting for a different gunshot. It's ridiculous. Um, and then okay, this is like my last because we've already brought up the berserker thing. Um, when they are looking for the nematon, Mason has the brilliant idea. For Liam to use his other eyes. And that's how they find the nematon. Why can't Lydia always just find it? Why can't Lydia always just find it? Why did Scott, Allison, and Styles have to die and then come back to life to figure out where it was? Um, why, now that they have been to the nematon, why can't they just use their eyes to find it again? 
Yeah. Why? Even like Derek can't find it, even though he spent like weird childhood trauma there. Yeah. Why? I. What? Yeah. That is also like, no, I think it needs to stay hard to find. I think the Nematon needed to choose to find Mason or something. Yeah. Um, no, that was so infuriating. <laughs> so, and why is it that easy? And that actually is the the part where like Mason genius teenager comes in where I'm like, this is boring and stupid. Boring. Stop it. Boring. Yeah. Also like he's a genius. Um, I feel like it's actually weird that nobody else tried that before. I, yeah. If the, if it works and why does it work? And I don't want to tell me why does it work? work. I don't want it to work because like, stop making things easy for the sake of getting to like worse plot lines. (laughs) Yeah. If the Nematon was just going to be easier to find now. Okay, fine. Yeah. It should have started to be easier to find after they found it after going in the water. It is activated. It's not in hiding anymore. So anyway, those are my questions. Do you have questions? I said the thing about the berserker, which was annoying. Um, I don't have any other questions. Do you have any observations? I do. Um, Despite the fact that I don't like that they were naked kissing, I really did like the um, shower scene. That was one of my observations. I thought it was very, uh, well, really good horror tropes. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of, you know, water running in the shower black. And then I liked the, uh, the forest. I thought that that was all very artistically interesting. It was also a nice callback to the first time that Lydia is in the hospital after she has been running around in the woods. And she's pulling all the hair out of the shower. Yeah. I thought Actually, that was that's nice. previous to her running around in the woods. She pulls the hair out of the shower and then goes running. No. Mm, yeah no because she's in the she's in the hospital she's taking a shower no she's in the hospital because she gets attacked by peter oh okay and then she goes running in the woods whatever she's in the hospital and she loses however many seven pounds um, she loses nine pounds in the woods um yeah i all okay one other thing yeah they think they are being so smart when styles invites theo over and like tosses him scott's shirt to be like, you killed my best friend as a way to explain why Scott's scent is in the air. He, Theo would have been able to hear his heartbeat. Yeah. He just would have been able to hear his heartbeat. Yep. Um, and the fact that there's no sly Theo turns away, little like smile goes up because he knows Scott's alive. Yeah. What the fuck? Boring. Yeah. What are your observations? Um, Hmm. Oh, you know what? We kind of covered most of mine. I was talking about the shower. Oh, I think that Dylan O'Brien's whole like solo breakdown while he's in the waiting room of the hospital is just, he was really impressive in this episode. He looked Mm -hmm. very haggard. Haggard. Yeah. I just, I think that he brings so much physical um, competence to his performances. And like that is old news clearly at the Teen Wolf Rewolf, (laughs) at Teen Wolf Rewolf HQ. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that he. Well, I actually think that he hasn't been given the opportunity to perform as well in previous episodes because there's been no room to breathe. But even you said, you mentioned that the bit where Liam rips the map out of the book and we just have like, I think like maybe five full seconds where we watch Mason react. And I was like, oh, I missed that. I missed the human aspect of the show where we see not only action, but also reaction. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really beneficial to Dylan O'Brien in this episode, even though he's always good, but you know, whatever. And then we saw it pull good things out of our other performers. You might even say that acting is reacting. Ew. I don't even, I don't think that anybody ever said that when I was getting my acting degree. So, uh, yeah, no, it was just so, it was really nice for there to be like actual beats instead of just cuts. And, uh, I really enjoyed seeing that. Yes. Yeah. Like, I think I will, I was kind of thinking about like triggers and heaps. So like the idea that you can calculate everything that happens by the trigger and the result. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do a trigger and heap map of like previous episodes. Like it, no. the things, the scenes are not happening, happening consequentially. It's not like if styles does this, Malia does that. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of weird garbage that's happening. And like when an ensemble cast is created, you should hope that everything like causes reactions amongst the group. And obviously there can be side plots and things that are not held by everybody, but we have not had the sort of, um, like, again, like beat planning that. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, we could do the beats and units of this episode. (laughs) 
thank God. Boo, theater talk over. Uh, do you have our pack stats? Pack stats. Um, yeah, we were like going really strong at the beginning of this episode. Everybody's eyes were a glowing. Hot. Um, we had seven eyes, no claws, three shirts. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna call it five shirts because Parrish and Lydia hallucinations are fully naked. Um, Toyota ad one siren. Cool. That was our pack stats, people. That feels like a good pack stats. Uh, do you have an elf of the week? My elf of the week is Christopher Chris Argent. Argent. Daddy Argent is back on the prowl. Thank Oh my God. God. It was the same reaction to seeing Brayden. I was like, finally, something to relieve the tension of this <laughs> nonsense group of people. Something to like ground us back to the original plot of the movie. Something to bring forth like... <laughs> somebody also I think especially with like Brayden and Chris who have like very set moral codes where Brayden is like I kill people for money and Chris is like we, I kill people when I have to you know we I, protect those who cannot protect themselves yeah blah 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 whatever that is and like French. are those people are they like are they morally like you know praiseworthy no no but they do have a code that we haven't seen anybody else be able to actually like introduce a set standard and that is why i think it's interesting yeah and i will say also that like i am so unconcerned with like chris's inner life at this moment oh no he's, he's just, just hot and has a gun <laughs> and uh you need that yes in a supernatural tv show about werewolves yeah so well, I think that about wraps it up, yeah? I think so. Guys, if you liked this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfRewolf, and our Facebook group is TeenWolfRewolf Podcast. You can hang out with us. Uh, if you really liked this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or Audible or your listening app of choice that allows reviews. It really helps us find new listeners, and if you leave a review, we'll read it out loud and give you a shout-out. Uh, finally... If you really, really liked this episode, you guys can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf, or you can buy some stickers with Teen Wolf Rewolf stuff on them, some weird stuff I've said, but also our logo, and we're going to have more sticker designs. Uh, those are on Redbubble. You can search Teen Wolf Rewolf, or you could also just go through our uh, social media bio link trees and find it pretty easily that way. I think that's it. Uh, I, I think that's it. Without further ado, we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ah, woo!